Welcome back to another episode of SoCal Watch Reviews. I'm Miguel. This is episode 13. We got P under the line. P, how's it going? Mm, what's going on? It's your boy P. Ross back in the building. What's good? Hey, man. So check it out. Uh, season one is coming to, to a close with episode uh, 13. That's crazy, right? I mean, 13 episodes. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yes, sir. Um, yeah, today we, we actually got a, a pretty special guest, and I am honored, or we are honored, to have him, um, you know, do the podcast with us, and, and it's pretty cool with the, the, the things that he's doing and the things that he's going to do. His name is Darren Tiffany from DM Tiffany. Darren, how's it going? Great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Doing fantastic. Doing great. Doing great, Doing great sir. Yeah, no, absolutely. Gearing up for uh, Christmas. How about you guys? Oh, yeah, I'm getting it in. Um, I'm not prepared yet, but I'll be prepared <laughs> by Christmas. So. Oh, what about you, Darren? Yeah, man, it's a, it's a hectic time of year. Got a whole lot going on, a whole lot on my plate. Yeah, I know, for sure. It's, it's, it's been a little crazy. I went to the, to the store yesterday, and oh, God, it's just insane. It's like people running all over the place. It seems like Black Friday. I'm like, well, look. I'm happy that the economy is doing great and everybody's here in the store. Because I remember when, when the economy kind of crashed, uh, it was dead. It was pretty sad. I remember those times. It's cool that it's this picking up, but it sucks for people. If you just want to go grocery shopping, it stinks. <laughs> but for those of you that don't know you, Darren, um, I you have a really, really cool story. Um, and, and what you do is incredible. So why don't we start off by maybe telling the people... Uh, where they could find you. So that way, as they listen along, maybe they could pause it and go to your Instagram account and check out what we're talking about. This is very hard to describe. Yeah, definitely. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at dmtiffany.timepieces on Instagram. Uh, I've just been documenting my uh, progress in building some custom handmade watches. Uh, And just as a couple of months ago, I started a production run. So I'm making 20 watches that'll be commercially available uh, hopefully within the next few months. Sounds good. Well, before we move forward, let, um, you did an episode of 40 and 20, uh, our, our guys over there are friends and incredible episode. I mean, it, it, that's why I called you and I, I reached out to you because I heard it and it was just incredible. I went to your um, Instagram page and I told P about it. I'm like, Hey man, there's this guy making his own watches and he's here in Arizona and he, he just basically, self-taught and he bought his machine in fact he made a machine it's crazy you know not mm. everybody has those kind of talents and he's like oh man we we need to get this guy on the on the show if he's willing to absolutely you know, cause, absolutely because we're we're watch lovers just it doesn't matter if it's a a micro brand or a big brand or whatever it is you know we we appreciate timepieces and we appreciate people like you so in that um, episode, you covered a lot of things. Basically, it was like your origin story, if you will. And <laughs> I don't want to repeat what they said. So if, you, if anybody listening, you haven't, um, if you're listening to this episode, I recommend you listen to 40 and 20. And um, 
and check it out. But let, let's put it in a nutshell for people, if, if you will, how you started. Uh, then you had a Mark one, you had a Mark two, and then kind of we'll pick up from there if you don't, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So just to keep it brief. So, uh, in March, I think it's around March, April of 2018, I decided to, uh, pursue my interest of making my own watch. And so I went and bought a, uh, little benchtop milling machine and, uh, watched a ton of YouTube videos to figure out how to machine, <laughs> uh, while at the same time trying to figure out how to make a watch case. Uh, I have no formal machining training and definitely no uh, watchmaking training. So mm. like you said, everything is self-taught, just figuring it out on my own or reaching out to some really uh, helpful people in the, in the industry that have given me some guidance. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of figuring out how to machine and uh, making the mistake of starting with stainless steel on a benchtop milling machine, which was not the easiest material to learn on, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I've made some pretty good progress. So I finished my first watch and it was just kind of working on weekends and whenever I had spare time. Uh, I didn't finish it until uh, December of last year. And then I finished that watch right before Christmas time and I uh, packaged it up and gave it to my dad for Christmas. And he was uh, super excited to get that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that's the watch I refer to as Mark one. So it's the very first watch that I ever made. Uh, and then a couple months ago, I just finished my prototype for Mark II. And this is my personal watch. It's actually what I'm wearing right now. Um, it was kind of the reiteration of, of Mark I. So similar case shape, uh, similar design cues, um, but in my opinion, executed a lot better. So I, I've since purchased some additional equipment that helped me get to a, a better platform here. I bought a lathe. I bought a larger milling machine, so I was able to do some threading operations and, and bring the uh, case dimensions closer to what uh, I really wanted to get to in the, in the first place. So this Mark II prototype is uh, less than, it's right around eight and a half millimeters thick. So it's wow. super thin. It's running a ETA 2892 movement, um, kind of a 70s era sports watch style on the case with an integrated rubber strap and some custom uh, links that I machined as well. Um, so really happy to have this on my wrist. And after I finished this, or really as I was going through the process of, of making Mark II, I was building fixtures to be able to make the process more repeatable just so I can do this small production run and, and get some commercially available watches out there in the market. Hopefully people uh, like my designs as much as I do. Yeah, I I love them. <laughs> I think they're super cool. So you mentioned you're, you're using the ETA movements and I know you had also mentioned about the uh, scarcity of them, of course, because the watch group are tight and they don't want to sell them openly to the market or whatever, but mm -hmm. what can you, I, I know what, uh, what movement you're, you're, you're leaning towards or your goals are. Do you mind sharing that with people and why? Yeah, definitely. So ETA movements, they're still available, right? Because there's a lot of, uh, aftermarket and after sales support and a, right. a lot of watchmakers still need parts. So you can still buy entire movements, but the retail price on them has gotten pretty high. So like for a top grade 2892, it's through like start time supply. It's upwards of like $350 for a, Ooh. for an ETA movement. Mm. And so it's getting pretty pricey. And, and uh, I had a, an awesome opportunity to meet with um, a gentleman from uh, a movement manufacturer called Vaucher. And uh, they're based in Switzerland and, and they make some really, really high end movements and they work with a lot of uh, well-renowned brands and, and they actually sell 
movements to uh, small independent watchmakers and kind of the stars aligned. I got to meet up with him in Vegas and uh, talk some numbers and figure out some, some different movement options. And so instead of going with the uh, Adam movement, I'm actually going to be using uh, Vaucher uh, VMF 3002. And it's really similar dimensionally to the 2892. So about the same thickness and same diameter, but the finishing is on like a whole different level. Uh, and so I'm really excited to, to get my hands on some of these movements. And uh, now yeah. I guess, a, I guess the question is, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking Holy Trinity here. I mean, these guys, if they're working with AP um, you mentioned something about the ETA 2892 being a little pricey in the $300 range. Now you don't have to tell us how much you're going to pay for that BMF uh, movement, but it's in the same range. Is it more expensive? Yeah, it's definitely more expensive. It, okay. It's, it's about twice as expensive. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Mm. Okay. So you're, you're, you're not doing it so much for the price point. Obviously you're, you're doing it more for the prestige because you want, you want the community real enthusiasts to, to basically love your watch because the design is awesome. But you know, unfortunately if the, if, okay, let's put it this way. If your watch looked the way that it looks, but it was just a Chinese uh, quartz movement. Believe me, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people wouldn't be talking to you right now. But the fact that you actually care that much, kudos to you. You know what I mean? Um, and and furthermore, to be honest with you, I know the the way that your watches are designed. The case back. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can't take it off, right? It's kind of like integrated into the case to up the water resistance. Is that? The way that it is. Uh, no, no, the case back comes off. So it does come off. Okay. Yeah, my case design is a little bit different than I've seen anywhere else. So the case body itself, so it's sort of like a sandwich. So the case body itself is threaded entirely through, and then the bezel and the case back both both thread on to the case, and they're both gasketed. So I can get a really tight seal mm-hmm. on uh, silicone gaskets in there, and it helps out with water resistance a lot. Got it. Well, the reason I brought that up is because of the movement like that. I mean, and, and you say it has some really nice finishing. It'll be really cool to get like a clear dis- uh, display case back on it. You know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for that. I know some people don't like it. Some people think it's like, well, if it's going to be kind of a rugged watch and it's going to go in the water or whatever, you, you don't you don't want that. But I love looking at my little uh, movements on my Sarb, you know, Seiko Sarb. And I, it's not the best movement, but I think it's really cool. You know, is that a... a are you considering that or is that? Yeah, a thing? yeah definitely. <laughs> I, I think it would be a, a crime punishable by death if I didn't put uh, display backs on, on these. Uh, watches. Oh my mm. God. Okay. Now, now we're talking now you're, now you're elevating this to. Yeah. They'll definitely stuff. have Sapphire case backs. Mm. Okay, cool. So before we move on to the questions that we kind of have for you, why don't we run down through the specs of what this Mark II is looking like? All the dimensions, are you using acrylic, mineral crystal, uh, what, just anything and everything that you could tell us about the watch, just so we and the listeners can get an idea of what to expect. Especially yeah. that dial. Oh, we'll talk yeah. about that, believe me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mark II, it'll probably change name when I, when I kind of do the official launch of the watch, uh, but it's 38 millimeters case diameter. The total thickness, um, it may vary. So I still need to play around with those display backs and figure out how, what, how much thickness that's going to add. Right. But I want to stay right around eight and a half millimeters, between eight and a half and nine millimeters thick. So really, really thin. Um, the lug width is 24 millimeters. And so that's outside of lug to outside lug. It's a uh, integrated strap bracelet style watch with 
uh, custom stainless uh, lug adapters. So it kind of goes from the case to the bracelet. If you check out my Instagram, you'll be able to see what I'm right, talking about. Right. Um, lug to lug dimension is 49 millimeters. Uh, the dial is uh, German silver. So it's a, like a nickel silver alloy. There's actually no silver in it. I don't know why it's called German silver, nickel <laughs> silver, but uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, awesome alloy. It engraves really well. Um, it doesn't tarnish and it takes coatings really well, even enamel. So uh, oh, wow. like, like I mentioned on the 1420 podcast, I, uh, I built a Rose engine machine for doing guilloche. So all of the dials will be hand guilloched. Uh, each dial will be a little bit different. Uh, it's just really kind of playing with different patterns, coming up with dials that I like, and then putting them in, in the watches. So the watches aren't going to be identical dial wise uh, and color scheme wise. The strap, so the watches will come with a handmade leather strap. So there's a really awesome uh, strap maker here local to me. So she's out in, in Mesa. I'm just in Phoenix. So she's maybe like 30 minutes south of me who makes really incredible leather straps. Uh, she works with a lot of independent brands as well. Uh, so really excited to uh, get some samples from her and, and get the ball rolling on that. Uh, well, I do... fire crystal front and back. Oh, nice. Okay. Loom on the hands, right? I think I saw a little bit of loom. Yeah. On the prototype hands. So I'm still debating what I want to do with the production hands. Um, I really want to figure out how to make hands in-house. I don't know if that'll fit into the time scheme of, of getting these first uh, production units out, but we'll see. So do you, do you like loom? I mean, it's a sports watch. I'm assuming you, you are going to put some loom on there or you're not, or if it fits with, if it fits with the, uh, the scheme, I I don't know. Personally, I'm not a a tremendous loom fan. Are you serious? Uh, Well, so I, I have a ball watch, and with all the tritium in there and after having like <laughs> a full tritium watch having a loom, I don't know. It doesn't really do it for me. So we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll throw some options out there maybe. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot of uh, talk and, and watch enthusiasts, you know, forums or whatever. So anything that's like a dress piece, they're like, Oh no, we, you know, we can't, I can't have loom, but anything okay. that's more like a sports uh, watch. They, they obviously like loom because you're going to be taking this watch places, right. Diving and, whatever this uh but whatever i mean you, you are the designer you're in the engineer and, and whatever whatever speaks to you is, is what you're gonna do but uh let's talk about a release date because in that um episode with uh 40 and 20 you mentioned that december 15th was gonna be your projected uh day, date for sale right for at least having one one of these watches for sale and then also having your own website, have it have it launched because I know you already bought the domain name. So how are, are you on track? Are you not? What's going on with that? Yeah. So for production, unless there's some sort of miracle, uh, I'm not going to have anything ready next week for uh, for sale. But um, I'm definitely in the process. So any spare time that I have, I'm out in the shop uh, milling cases and working on parts. Um, I don't have like a real deadline. I mean, I need to order the movements and, and wait for those to come in from Switzerland. And there's kind of compounding timeframes that are adding up here, but uh, definitely within quarter one of 2020, I'll have something and that's, that's for sure. So that's, that's like a hard goal that I've set for myself, uh, especially with being self-funded. So maybe that's worth mentioning. Uh, there's no pre-orders. I'm not doing crowdfunding 
everything that I'm doing is in, entirely funded by myself. Uh, and it really gives me the, the freedom to make stuff that I like. Right. And, and I think that's kind of the, the goal at the end of the day is make a bunch of watches that I love uh, that are really from me and me alone, and then put them out into the market and see how the market reacts to it. Speaking of that, it seems like a, uh, a, a passion, you know what I mean? Instead of a actual business venture, like something that you love and something that you want to do, which is actually like inspirational. Like I think mm-hmm. people like me and Miguel, you know what I mean? Us being enthusiasts and all, um, where does that actual passion come from? Yeah. I mean, so I've, I've been collecting watches for years. Um, but, but really what I think when it comes to like the, the business aspect of getting things ready and really kind of blazing my own path in making these watches is I've always been a customizer and fabricator. So cars, motorcycles, firearms, all sorts of stuff, anything you name, uh, I've probably customized one of them. And so when I, when I really fell into watches and my career kind of started uh, and I had the funds to start collecting watches, it sort of just became an apparent goal that I needed to, to get hands on and, and make my own watch, which kind of fits my personality, I guess. Cool. That's awesome. Now, speaking of cool. cars, domestic or import? <laughs> uh, both. Nice, nice. Cool. Yeah, it's so funny when, when you get into, well, I don't know about P, I guess we never really talked about cars, but same thing for me. Uh, the, the whole thing started with uh, cars and, and buying them and, and you know, custom uh, buying things for them or whatever. Now I've never custom made or custom uh, done anything to a watch, but the, the mechanics are still there. It's very similar. You know, it's, it's I think when you have oh, yeah. that, that, uh, that collecting gene, whether it be for collecting coins or something, it, it, it's a disease really. I mean, it, it gets you in a lot of trouble with <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> with your girlfriend, with your wife, with your family members, it just becomes becomes an addiction that I guess you don't even see it, right? And you're spending all this time, all this money, and then people from the outside in, they're like, "Hey, what, what what's going on?" <laughs> yeah, so that's totally cool. You mentioned that, P, and it, yeah, definitely. This is this is definitely a passion project for 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 Darren. So, uh, oh yeah. So that's super cool, man. No, we're we're uh, super looking forward to the production model um p you were i think you, you had mentioned something about the price point yeah you mentioned the price point was going to be uh 4k have you gotten any feedback from people and is that still the projected price yeah so the price uh, i'm going to push it up a little bit because of the the different movement that i'm using but it's only going to be by the difference between the Yetta movement and the boucher movement so it's probably going to be around 4,300. So just up a couple hundred dollars for a movement that's on like a whole nother realm. Uh, and still, I mean, looking at the price point, I know that uh, I'm a nobody in the watch world, right? Uh, well, when it comes you, to watchmakers you, and you all this crazy like stuff. You may feel like that, but you're about to be a somebody. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I know that my price point, I mean, most other watches using this movement are – above $8,000. And so I, I think the package that I'm putting together of a handmade, like uh, literally handmade with my hands, uh, manually machined, uh, hand done guilloche dial, hand done finishing, a handmade leather strap and a handmade buckle that I'm going to be making for it. Um, and the caliber of movement. I mean, I think in my opinion, I think it's a bargain 
uh, I would love to sell it for more. And if, if this first run is uh, successful, I'll definitely reevaluate that price point. Uh, you know, I've gotten some pushback from just random people who reach out to me on Instagram and are asking me to make stuff for them. Uh, maybe they are not seeing the vision that I'm mm-hmm. seeing, but, but the good news is only 20 watches. Five of them are, are uh, spoken for already. So I only have 15 watches to sell. Right. I'm, I'm certain that I can find 15 people that are as passionate about it as I am, especially because the plan is to kind of travel around. I'll be out in Orange County at a OC Chrono get together in a couple of weeks. So I'll be out there uh, this month just to meet with some people, show them what I'm working on. And that's kind of the plan is just focus on enthusiasts, you know, cause I only want to sell watches to people who really care about them and care about the story and, that's behind them. And just so people know, um, the only thing that you're getting imported is the movement, correct? Everything else you're making, right? Uh, pretty much. I mean, so I'm, I'm purchasing the Sapphire crystals, the gaskets, the movement, um, and the crown, because I'm using screw down crowns and I don't have the capability to make those in house yet. Uh, everything else is, is pretty much handmade. How hard is it to assign the crown? Is that, does it have to do be made in the production uh, process or, or can you sign it afterwards or? It, it depends how you do it. Um, so you can use like a laser oh, yeah. to engrave it, which is probably the easiest and the cleanest way to do it. Um, you can get an engraver to actually hand engrave it, which would be really cool. Uh, or you could do like a etching process. I think the biggest difficulty is getting it aligned. So when it's screwed all the way in, that it is properly oriented. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, I think a big, especially when you see some like brand new Rolexes and the crown is crooked. <laughs> sideways, yeah. All the way in. Yeah, it sends shivers down my spine. So. Now the sapphire uh, crystal is that uh, air air coating? I'm assuming. Um. Yes. Yeah. So internally, AR coated on, on one blue side. Purple. What, for the dial uh, side. What color are you uh, choosing to uh, put on? Uh, I can get whatever I want. Um, so anything is really available. Uh, I kind of like the the purplish. That's cool. Tint. Yep. Well, you mentioned. Let me let me move on to the to the strap because you kind of touched the, on it a little bit, but I want to kind of elaborate <laughs> a little bit. So you mentioned something uh, previously about the idea of whatever strap the watch comes on, you want people to leave it like that, which I, I get it because you're you're the designer, you're the engineer, so you want people to respect the way that it came, which I, I'm I'm totally cool with that. And I've seen your watch on the rubber strap. I saw it on that leather strap, but also in one of your images, you showed like a stainless steel bracelet. So what, um, I guess, what uh, strap is it going to come on? And furthermore, would you be open to the idea of supplying different straps to your consumers, kind of like a a Vacheron uh, overseas, where you could change the straps? Is, Is that an option? Is that, have you considered that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I have been toying around with the idea of producing a a metal bracelet. It's just not commercially viable with my manufacturing process. So to hand make every single link to taper and to integrate and screw together, it would be an insane amount of time and money that I would have to charge for it. So in the short term, the near future, I don't see a, a metal bracelet as an option. 
Um, but like I said, I'll be working with that uh, uh, strap maker in Mesa uh, and she makes really incredible leather bands. Uh, so I, the plan is to include a leather strap that I kind of, uh, so whatever the dial, however the dial speaks to me, like the color tones and, and the guilloche patterns, I'm going to choose a, a leather option that matches, in my opinion, the best with that. Uh, something that I was kind of thinking about was since she'll have the patterns to, to make these straps and she'll be making 20 plus of them at a time for me, uh, I kind of want to throw her business card in there and then maybe set up like a discount code uh, where I'll eat some of the cost. If, if one of my customers wants to get a, a, another strap option, maybe I'll, I'll eat like 15, 20% of that cost and they can buy directly from her. That's, cool. mm. that's super cool. No, I, I, that's exciting. So you, so if I'm understanding this correctly, are you going to supply this watch then on a, on a rubber and a leather? Are you going to give people both when they buy the watch or not? Uh, it'll just be a leather strap. So the rubber that I have on my prototype is just a, a modified rubber strap. Got it. Uh, I've actually been playing with a couple concepts. So I saw this uh, awesome guy on Instagram who makes straps and keepers. And he actually 3D printed a rubber strap mold Ooh. to or some like um, two-part rubber silicone in and make rubber straps. I thought that was really cool. So I actually, I have a 3D printer. And so I, I modeled up the mold in Fusion 360. And so I just need to print it out and just do some testing and prototyping with it. I don't know if, I mean, it's not a huge priority when it comes to like the production. So I'd rather work on the cases than work on right. that. Um, but maybe sometime in, in the near future, I'll have some custom rubber straps available. Because I really, I really want to include something that is more water resistant. Right. So whether it's rubber or maybe I can get the strap maker to make something in like a waterproof canvas or something like that, that might be an option as well. That's cool. Yeah, the, I, I recently heard an interview with the CEO of uh, Elang and Son, and he was talking to Ben from Houdinki, and they were talking about that uh, new Odysseus or Odysseus, whatever watch that they released. Odysseus. Odysseus or whatever. Yeah. And of course, they got a lot of hate, and, and, and that's not what I'm going to talk about. But what I am going to talk about is they, they asked him why. You know, why, why now? He's like, you know what? For years, uh, over 10 years, people are our customers that actually buy our watches have been asking for a sports model. And the reason why is because they, they love our watches. They wear them all the time. But whenever they go on vacation, they can't get in the water. They can't go skiing because of the leather strap. So we wanted to give them something where they could switch it up and, and have more of a sports um, uh, watch and the reason that's the reason I'm, I'm kind of asking about the rubber strap because if you do offer it and whether you hit the nail right on the head you maybe want something people could take to different places right because your watch is beautiful and and it could go from the beach uh to maybe an office you know or you know vice versa so <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's kind of the the concept right is a dressy sports watch i mean I, I wouldn't ever market it as like a dive watch. I mean, I want it to have enough water resistance where you can jump in the pool and swim with your family and, and do that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm not going to put like a you thousand meter guarantee. I don't know if you mentioned how, how is the water resistance on it and what it's going to be. So I haven't done any official testing. I mean, the way that I construct it in the sandwich and everything is gasketed in the screw down crown, I would assume it should be at least a hundred meter water resistant i'm going to build a um a pressure chamber and do some testing and, and just verify that it's good i don't know if i'll put like a guarantee water rating 
in right. there, but I know that right. it can be sub- submerged and it'll Yo, be fine. And listen to this, Yo. people. He said he's going to build <laughs> his own water <laughs> pressure chamber. Be That's inspired. Crazy. Be inspired. Okay. That's insane. Uh, so, yeah. have, have you invested? Now, you don't have to throw a figure, but I'm assuming you've invested a pretty penny into your machinery, right? And then your equipment? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. How does your, <laughs> now, is it your girlfriend, your wife? Oh, My girlfriend. Okay. Does she yeah. give you any crap about it? Or is she, is she cool with you spending all no. this time, all this money on this? No, yeah, she's she's awesome. She's incredibly supportive. I mean, we both have our own careers. We don't have any kids. We just have the dog. So we kind of uh, do our own thing independently, and we don't give each other grief about uh, what we're spending money on, what we're investing in, and stuff like That's that. Cool. So she's she's. Now awesome. you mentioned something. Yeah. You're you have your own career, so you have a full time job, right? For everybody listening, this is just a passion project for you. That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I could only imagine. So, give us an idea. How long does it take to? to uh make a case i guess from scratch like you take a block of stainless steel whatever how long does it how many hours does it take you to to have not a not a finished product but just the actual case design to be like okay boom here's the case it's ready to be assembled yeah so it's kind of a tough question to answer because like you mentioned i have a full-time career so i'm not like working in the shop 40 hours a week and able to time it is kind of like when I have time and I I don't really log it that much. Um, I kind of in my head, what I'm thinking is if I were focused only on making watches, if I'm doing like a production run. So I guess to preface the way that I make watches, everything is manual. So it's on a manual milling machine on a manual lathe. So every operation is with my input. So there's no CNC here. Everything is all fixturing, making cuts, all my manual equipment. So with that being said, I don't make one case at a time. So with this production run, I'm doing the same operation 20 times in a row. And then I'm resetting up my machines and doing the next operation 20 times in a row. I think that if I was solely focused on making watches, I think my production cycle would be around three months per start to finish. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty short, right? For like 20 watches. 20, 25 watches. Don't people, I mean, this is maybe a rumor or something. Don't they say Rolex watches take like a year or more to produce or something like one? I mean, I, I don't know. I can't see why. I mean, they have so much right? automation in their production. I, I don't believe that well, for people, a second. You know, throwing that crap around is because of the sports models being, you know, scarcity of them and all this, which that's yeah. a whole... Well, I think they've come out and said they just don't want to make anymore, <laughs> which I respect that. Yeah, they don't. I feel them there. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's going to catch up, you know, just, I mean, look what's yeah. happening right now, right? Uh, it, it went from uh, everybody wants them to watch finder discounting them. Now, yeah. I don't know why they did that. And there's a ton of speculation, but I just, I know the, the market is, market is softening, uh, especially in Asia with everything going on. So I think that has something yeah. to do with it. And Rolex projected it because they're like, look, there's this huge demand now. But it's 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 gonna it, it's gonna fix itself, you know. Um, yep. But let me talk about that uh, dial. I know you kind of mentioned something about the dial, about the different colors mm-hmm. and 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 everything. So every or or maybe okay, maybe not the color. So you have a guilloche dial, which is incredible and it's beautiful and it's super super cool. But 
uh, I saw some different colors in your in your Instagram. So, like a purple, like a mm -hmm. blue. What are you going to be offering your your customers? Different colors, or what you're talking about is the the finishing, the guilloche finishing is going to be have different patterns. What what are you specifically talking about? What's going to be different? Both. Oh, both. Yeah, both. Really. So I have the ability to do really any color that somebody would want, and, and so I may uh, pull some interest if there are potential customers out there who want a specific color, color combination, dial, strap. Uh, I'm will I'm open to to talking about that. I mean, I'm only going to make stuff that I think is dope. So if I don't like your idea, I'm not doing it. Mm. End of story. Uh, but I can do basically any color. And so with the Rose engine that I built, I, I have a bunch of different options and I'm still learning every time I go out there and, and do some engine turning, some guilloche, I'm learning something new. So as I'm making each dial, I'm going to be trying out different stuff, only picking the, the absolute best dials that I'm producing and they're going to have different patterns on them. Uh, and then I'll kind of just pull inspiration from, from elsewhere and kind of choose color schemes to go with those dials. And then, like I said, if a customer really wants something specific and it's an awesome idea, I'm totally open to doing that too. That's super cool. Well, since we are on the topic of dials, I was going to ask you something about kind of the dial. And one of the questions that I had is you have uh, two types of indices on your watch that I've noticed. One of them is kind of underneath the dials, more like a sandwich style. And the other one is uh, mm -hmm. the, the applied indices right on top of the dial. So are you married on one of them? Are you not? And also, will you be putting your brand name on the dial and, uh, and any numbers or just indices with no numbers? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So I want to kind of experiment with that a little bit more. And that will probably be another thing that is is variable from watch to watch is how the indices are, are laid out and how they're constructed. Uh, so I like applied indices. I don't like buying them from an overseas supplier. So I want to figure out how to make some applied indices or... Um, there are some other companies that are making really cool um, ones that are machined or laser cut in-house um, that are kind of like a mix between applied indices and like a chapter ring. So I might play around with that a little bit. Um, so I guess it's, it's variable. So the, so. the applied indices you have on that watch now, did you buy them from somewhere else? Did you machine them yourself? Uh, so on the Mark II prototype, it has the, um, the like the negative space indices that show the uh, brass movement ring underneath. I didn't actually use the the dial that has the applied indices, but I got those from like a eBay oh. supplier. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Got it. All right. Um, now that more people know about you and the brand, do you have any pre-order set up? Uh, so no pre-orders. I'm not taking anybody's money until I can have a watch to put in their hands. Um, but with that being said, there are five watches that are spoken for of right. the 15. Right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned before, it, it, I think it really just gives me more confidence in what I'm doing, right. In terms of my uh, design ideas and how I want to assemble the watches. I think, if you're taking money up front, it puts 
crazy deadlines on you, and I just don't have the time for that, especially with my career. Absolutely. So, uh, what about uh, any future plans for any other complications? Yeah, so the awesome thing about working with Voshe is the movement that I'm using is like their most basic movement, and it's still insanely finished compared to anything else that's commercially available. Uh, and the ones I'll be using are just hours, minutes, second time only. Um, I can get that same movement with a date. I can get movements with big date. I can get tourbillons. I can get annual calendars. I can get chronographs. I can get basically any complication that's out there that isn't like proprietary to a brand. The, the issue is I have minimum order quantities to meet. Right. So if I were to buy, if I wanted to do a tourbillon, I would have to buy five tourbillon movements. Mm-hmm. And that's a hefty investment. So it would be something that I, I would be open to like working with people. So after this first production run goes out, if there's enough interest in what I'm doing and people want some awesome complications, mm-hmm. I can, I can get it and I can make it happen. Okay. I mean, the tourbillon, I think it's a minimum order quantity of five. And obviously I have to have one. So I would just need four other people. <laughs> who are interested. You got to have one of everything. Right? <laughs> exactly. So when you, so you said you, the five of them are already spoken for. Have they mm-hmm. have they given you money, or that they say, "Hey, no. I'm 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 going to buy one." Yeah, so they've offered to give money, but I I've refused. I just don't want to take anybody's funds until I have something to give them. Got it. Now In you return. mentioned something about depending on what the customer wants, you're going to do the dials. It's not for these people. Did you sit down with them and kind of say, "Okay, well, what color do you like? How are we going to do this?" or conversation hasn't gone that far uh most of them want me to do what i think is best oh, that's super cool wow. which are the best kind of customers of to have <laughs> yeah you can't disappoint them right because when when you have yeah. high expectations and i'm thinking of this and come up with something different because everything is tailored then it can it can, it can maybe be uh <laughs> put you in a, in a in a in a weird situation but um exactly now yeah. I guess uh, a question for the future would be, are you going to sell these watches exclusively through your website or are you thinking, well, I think I answered my own question just because of the production uh, run that you're going to do. But I was thinking if you get big enough in the future, would you consider a distributor or like an AD that way you could solely focus on production rather than marketing and, you know, sales and all that other stuff. Or do you want to do everything? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think maybe I might've skipped your question about the website. So I have the domains uh, that I've purchased and I've built the websites out like preliminary website. I'm still kind of gathering some media. So I have some awesome friends who are coming over and like recording while I'm working and taking awesome pictures. So I'm kind of building the website up so I could, I could launch it anytime I want. I just don't have anything to sell. So I'd be paying to, to host the website. I don't really have any way to generate income from it. I mean, I think I have enough media to kind of launch it. So that'll probably be within the next week. So I think I can meet my December 15th goal of, of having the website launched at least. So I'd like to have that. Um, I really want to keep production low. I mean, the, the like most desired outcome would be people are crazy about these 20 watches that I produce and they sell out super quick. And then I, can focus on making watches full time. I mean, that would be ideal, right? But we'll, we'll kind of see what the market has to say about that. Um, but I want to keep everything in house or as much as I possibly can in house. And so I want production quantities to be low. 
So, I mean, maybe like full swing production, I'm making 50 watches a year. Uh, and I want to keep my schedule set up where I have time to interface with potential customers and other enthusiasts, because above all else, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm a watch enthusiast. Yeah. And so that's the reason I'm doing all of this. And so I don't want to lose touch with that and become more of a businessman than a watch enthusiast. So my enthusiasm comes first and everything that I do is motivated by that. And so staying in touch with the community. So I'm involved in some local Arizona groups. We get together every month and an awesome group of guys and, and gals, but I want to kind of branch out and so split up my time. So sometime producing watches in the year. So like I said, a three, four month production cycle, and then the rest of the year just kind of go out and network and attend events and meet up with people and just, show off the stuff that I'm working on and just keep everything in house. So it's sell through my website, sell person to person as I'm traveling and kind of how I want it to be. That's pretty cool. So since you finish your production model for yourself and you, that's, that's what you're wearing. By, by the way, we forgot the wristwatch check. So Darren, mm. what are you wearing? <laughs> so I'm wearing my uh, Mark II prototype, purple guilloche dial, gold hands and the gold indices. That purple is nice. Yeah, nice. It's, it's especially in the in. The, I think it's kind of divisive. I mean, some people like the purple and gold. Purple is my favorite color, so I had to do it. So, it's what I like, so it's what I did. Right I on. think it's super cool, especially the way that it plays with the light. I mean, if everybody listening, go to go to Darren's uh, Instagram account. He has some really cool videos, some really cool pictures. I mean, if if I were to describe this watch as like a, it's like a Audemars Piguet Royal Oak married with almost like a Patek, right? And it has that. It, it, it's very much in line with everything that the people like right now. Sports models that look very industrial, I guess you could call it. I don't, I don't know what how to describe them, but you got those um, very kind of square lines, but then you got that round um, uh, dial, of course. And we didn't even talk about the finishing on the case because you got some polishing, right? And some uh, brushing. Yeah, so I have some circular graining, circular brushing around the bezel, polishing on the chamfers on the sides of the case, and then vertical graining on the case body. So a couple different finishes on, on the case. Speaking of the case, uh, I really, really, really like that case. What inspired that? Like, what was your inspiration behind the case? Because I, I think it's pretty dope. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I've always been a fan of like 70s era sports watches, like kind of when the Royal Oak launched and, and kind of started that trend that has never really died down. Um, I pull a lot of inspiration from like uh, the Vacheron Overseas, um, even the Rolex Oyster Quartz. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you yep. guys are familiar yeah, with that absolutely. watch and the yep. K-shape yeah. on that. I love that watch. Uh, the Tudor North Flag. It's just sort of that, that design element where it's kind of a, a rugged, exterior but still classy enough to be dressed up right and i think the the combination of that uh rough not rough but kind of like a rugged exterior in, in the case shape it just looks sharp lines um squared off edges married with like the guilloche dial i think it's a in my opinion it's a good balance between like rugged watch and something that is dressy very elegant yeah. yeah no absolutely and it's so funny 70 style watches and everything i mean they're they're huge look at what timex did with the q timex i think it's been selling yeah. out and it looks very 70s inspired i guarantee that a few years ago they would have came out with that everybody would have 
laughed at them and said, what the hell is that? <laughs> but there's just something yeah. about this whole steel craze, right? I, I don't know what the hell's going on. But uh, uh, so that's what you're wearing. P, what are you wearing? Uh, the Belova Curve. Nice. I saw the is unboxing there... for that. How do, you, how do you like that watch? Oh, I'm loving it. It is beautiful. Precisionist movement on it? Precisionist movement on it. Yes, sir. That's awesome. The, now, the world's first curve movement. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Um, Darren, let, let me pick your brain. So, P yeah. and I love Buloba. We, we, we really do like their, their watches, the brand. How do you how do you feel about Buloba? I like Buloba. I mean, I, I don't own any. Um, I mean, I have a Caravelle, which is kind of like a sister brand right of Buloba. Um, but I think they're beautiful watches. Well, you have a diver, uh, right? No a devil diver? Is yeah. That, is that correct? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you're definitely part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've been looking at the uh, at the Lunar Pilot, the Beloba Lunar Pilot. The only thing that's putting mm-hmm. me off is the, is the size, but man, such a cool such a cool watch and the history of it. And it just kind of sucks. Like it, it just really makes me sad that Beloba has such a rich history and they come out with a turning fork and they have so many cool things, but because of the my, my personal opinion, I've said this before, because of the sizing and maybe the design of their new watches, a lot of people put them off and they're like, oh, they're grotesque or that precision is looks like a, like a beast or like a monster. But I don't know. I, I think Biloba has a lot of potential to to go back to what they were or maybe change their trajectory and maybe get respect. Because, I mean, look how much respect Omega gets for their moon watch, right? Everybody mm-hmm. and their mom loves that watch. They respect it. Wobuloba did something really cool too with the with the moon watch they had. It wasn't a production run. It was just for one astronaut. It sold for one point six million dollars, but people just don't give it the credit that it deserves, or they don't even know about it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, moon watch. Okay, whatever. But um, you know what, Miguel? You need to just go ahead and pull the trigger on that, bro. I know. I, I've been trying yeah. to. Believe. Yeah, don't talk about it. Be about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta convince a certain someone. <laughs> but uh, what am I wearing today? I'm wearing my the, the, the watch that started it all for me. My Seiko SKX 007. Mm. So this guy, I'm sure you guys know this watch. Of course, you know it's everybody. Everybody has it. But it's such a cool watch. Something about it is just for less than 200 bucks. The watch that you get. The bracelet is garbage, so I changed it. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's it's a really cool watch, and I don't know, it's just kind of rugged enough to where I could beat it up and not feel bad about it. I mean, now they're discontinued, so maybe I'll be a little more careful with it. But I think it's pretty cool. I think the SKX uh, is definitely cool. Do you like Seiko, uh, Darren? Yeah, I, I like Seiko. I, I definitely respect the brand. Um, I don't. I own a vintage Seiko that my dad gave me. Five uh, or what? What do you? Uh, it's a uh, kinetic, so oh. I can't remember the reference right. off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. um, but it's a titanium kinetic. Uh, the reason my dad gave it to me is so kind of a, a little backstory. So I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. My dad worked for an uh, uh, oil company over there. I just remember as a little kid hanging out with my dad when he'd get home from work, and he would uh, he would be winding that watch. So. It, He'd be like spinning it, spinning the rotor <laughs> to to wind up the to power the capacitor, and I, it's a good memory that I have. And I was talking with him about it. And I asked him if he still had the watch, and he went and pulled it out of his closet and gave it to me. Uh. So I replaced the capacitor in it. So it's a kind of a sentimental piece to me. That's super cool. So if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been in the states for? Uh, I moved here in two thousand one. Oh, okay. Cool. Wow. Cool. 
That's super cool. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned that in the forty and twenty podcast, and they're like, "Well, that's a whole another episode on itself." <laughs> I seriously thought you were like military because that's what happens. You know, people military, you go all over the place or whatever. But uh, that's cool that it was something completely different. So I could appreciate yeah. that. Now, you want to talk about your tattoo before we uh, move on to other things? I know you have a, a movement tattoo on your arm, a huge one. Movement. I do. BMT. No, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> he's about to hang up on us right now. <laughs> just joking. I've got just a joking. Chinese sports movement tattoo. <laughs> no, joking, uh, so <laughs> I have a, a kind of a blown up assembly diagram of a uh, Vaucher movement. So it's um, their micro rotor movement, super thin. It's like 2.6 millimeters. The actual movement has an awesome micro rotor. And so... I kind of wanted something to commemorate getting into watches and my love for watches and watchmaking and kind of like just set myself up to, you know, be able to like look at it and remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing, putting in long hours, late hours in the workshop. And uh, it was actually awesome because I, uh, I posted on Instagram and I tagged Roche in it and they reposted it and they reached out to me. And that's actually how I, I got to meet up. Uh, with Sven from Roche out in Vegas as he invited me out there to meet up with him and show me what what they're working on and give me their catalogs and, and talk about building a partnership with them so kind of a, a maybe a strange way to get a foot in the door with that. <laughs> it works uh, it worked it works. yeah, yeah. So that, is, that it, is hot well that is hot is show. there a reason why you chose to tattoo that movement rather than like an omega movement or or something more I don't know, in line with the industry? Because Boche, I mean, I don't think a lot of watch enthusiasts really. Yeah, they're very behind the scenes. Um, the reason I chose them is, well, I mean, they had awesome diagrams on their website of every movement kind of blown up like that. So it kind of was a perfect fit. Uh, but also, I just really like the brand. I really respect what they're doing in, in helping small independent watchmakers get top tier movements in their watches and uh their ability to work like with low minimum order quantities like i said tourbillon at five minimum order quantity is pretty phenomenal right. especially for an, an independent who wants to like get something awesome into the case that they're making and the dial that they're making and and just put that package together so i just really respect what they're doing and, and being able to help the little guys you know i think there's a lot of conglomerate watch companies out there that would love to crush every independent brand out there but these guys working with us is is cool that's awesome well that's a good segue speaking of big companies i wanted to uh get you guys take on that new uh omega watch that uh <laughs> that omega seamaster 300m uh limited release for the james bond film what have you guys seen it what do you guys think about it i i like it i just don't like the bracelet the mesh bracelet it just i'm not a big mesh guy i guess but overall, the watch is beautiful, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a gorgeous watch. Uh, I like the mesh bracelet. I think it kind of harkens back a, a couple decades ago and kind of fits with their Bond theme. It just seems kind of Bondy. I mean, I, I'm not going to buy one, but I think they're awesome. Well, how do you guys feel, if you, if you had to compare, how do you feel about this one versus the first one they just released, uh, Majesty, whatever that thing was called? For His Majesty Secret Service? I think yeah. I like that one better. You like that one better? What about yeah. you, Darren? Yeah. I think I like this newer one. I think I like it more. And I'm with you, Darren. And, and, and here's why. Here's the reason I, I present this one. 
number one, the Milanese bracelet is is really cool. I can't believe uh, my boy P doesn't like it because he he has Timexes that look very similar to that. Um, <laughs> no, no, not I yes, you the do. Bra- yes. The bracelet, the bracelet, man, it's just the bracelet. I'm but telling you, check it out. The the now I need to pull up a, a, a picture, but the the Q Timex, the the bracelet. I, I'm not saying it's the same one because it's not. But it kind of has that feel to it, right? Am I am I going crazy here? <laughs> I, I don't so. know. I think so. But anyways, what what I what I like about this specific one is the fact that it's not super branded to 007. And the reason why is because there's a YouTuber I was watching, and he he kind of hit the nail on the head with it. He said, if James Bond was wearing a watch, he wouldn't be wearing a watch that says 007 all over the place and have like all this heavy marketing. Oh, right, come on. Now we know that. We know that, but come on, let's keep it real. It's still a cool, cold-blooded watch, man. No, but right. but check it out. This this new one. I mean, it does uh, it does uh, give it some some homage or, or reference to the actual movie, uh, but in a very subtle way. It has that little uh, arrow right in the in the dial or whatever, and in the back it actually says 007. It has some very subtle things to it that you as a watch enthusiast would know oh this is a james bond watch but it, it, it stands on its own it doesn't need to say james bond on it you know what i mean and then uh the fotina actually kind of meshes in with that uh, melanin's uh bracelet and the reason why is because <laughs> for this specific film i know they work very very closely with uh daniel craig and he had a lot of input on this watch and says they're bringing back that um Aston Martin car, that that old school one in this film, he wanted to have that kind of marriage between an old field kind of vintage inspired watch that was kind of married with that car, you know. So I I think that's that's pretty cool. What I don't like is the price tag, nine thousand dollars. I think it's <laughs> kind of what they're what they're talking about. Mm. But uh, other than that, I, I think it's a really really cool watch, better than the other one in, in my opinion. But whatever, at the end of the day, I don't. I'm not gonna buy either one of them. So, <laughs> so what does it matter, right? Um, all right. Well, any any. Uh, oh, before before we finish here, we. Just like 40 and 20, and we got this from them, we like to talk about other things. So we talk about movies or food or whatever happened in the last week that inspired you or you want to recommend to people. So Darren, we'll let you go first. What do you What do you got? Yeah, definitely. So I, I know that listening uh, to past episodes, I know that you guys are hip-hop yes, heads. Yes. And so uh, uh, I have a, a hip-hop recommendation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, probably the most, in my opinion, the most slept on uh, hip hop album ever to be produced. It, definitely the most lyrical is uh, honor killed the samurai. And the artist's name is Ka K a. And uh, it's almost, it's kind of a mix of like spoken word and mm-hmm. rap. Um, but it's, it has an awesome theme. So it's uh, so Ka is from Brownsville. And so the whole album start to finish is like storytelling of him comparing growing up in the hood in Brownsville with um, like feudal mm. Japan and like the samurai code of honor. And uh, just something that it's been out for a couple of years and like, I've listened to it a billion mm. times, but I can still put it on, listen, cover to cover and hear something new every time I listen to it. So I definitely okay, recommend okay. checking that Check out. That wow. Very okay, cool. inspired. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It almost has Wu-Tang mm. vibe. A little more, Spoken word, a little more poetic than uh, Wu Tang, but okay, similar vibe. Thanks for the recommendation. Got to check it out. P. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't really do much this weekend, this week, but work. But what we did uh, yesterday, you know, we got the Disney Plus. Um, yeah, and we watched Home Alone, the original. Yep, the first mm-hmm. one, and um. Uh, that movie still holds hella weight. It's still a great movie. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I laughed all through it. Like, I just thought it was just hilarious. And it's just funny just thinking I can get the same laughs off the movie I done watched probably a hundred times over and over and over again when I watch it. You know what I mean? So, that's about all I got, really. Just, we watched Home Alone last night. You know what's super cool if you go on Netflix? They have a, a thing that Netflix released called the movies that made us. It's almost they had mm. the first one was the toys that made us, which is really cool because me being an eighties guy, uh, Darren eighties, you from the eighties as well? No, <laughs> I was born in eighty nine. Okay, so I spent okay, a couple I'm months in the eighties. I know, uh, <laughs> I know, we got the old man P over there, but seventy four, seventy four, seventy four. But anyways. So they have this thing called The Movies That Made Us. Um, and they actually have different movies. They talk about Ghostbusters. And Home Alone was actually one of them. And it was really cool that they thought it was just going to be another holiday movie. They didn't think much of it. The studio, in fact, only gave them a $10 million um, a budget. Well, they went over that pretty fast. And they were close to, I think, 19 or, or something like that. So anyways, the studio, mm-hmm. midway through filming everything, they said, we're out just close production is not happening but one of the main guys that was running the the movie had already spoken to somebody else to another studio and they picked up where they left off and that's how the movie got made and they talked about john candy and they talked about it was just incredible and they're like the success that this movie had it it, nobody could ever project it i mean they were number one Mm -hmm. in box office when it came out for like eight or nine weeks or more i mean it's incredible and now it's a classic. Just like uh, I don't know if you guys like the movie Elf with uh, with our boy uh, uh, Will Ferrell. Oh my God, that's yeah. such an awesome movie. <laughs> well, so, I know that that first movie studio company feeling stupid right about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's just like a story of uh, uh, Purple Rain. I don't know if y'all know that story. I'm a big Prince fan too. No. Um, Richard Pryor had his own production company. And um, Jim Brown was head of it. So they brought the film to Richard Pryor's company. And Richard Pryor's company said, no, we're not doing it because we don't feel like a black audience will like this movie. (laughs) So turn around, they went somewhere else and the movie just blew up. You know what I mean? So I heard Richard Pryor was kind of pissed about that. But, (laughs) you know. Lost a lot of money. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, what I'm going to talk about is another Netflix film. So I've started watching The Irishman. Mm. Um, Robert De Niro. De Niro, Al Pacino, Pesci, directed by, crap, I lost the name. (laughs) Directed by a heavy-hitting director. I'll I'll get the name of it. But, yeah, it's it's an incredible movie. Was it Scorsese? It is. It is. There you go. Thank you. Thanks for saying my butt. Scorsese. Um, It's crazy, man. It starts off a little slow. But the acting these guys do is just crazy. You're like, all right, I feel like I'm watching Scarface mixed with Casino mixed with other things because mm. these guys are, are good. I mean, you just don't get that kind of acting. I mean, there's good actors out there, but just the gangster feel from these guys. It just 
It feels oh, yeah. real, you know, and um, it's three hours long, three hours and 25 minutes, which is crazy. I'm two hours in and I've been watching it in pieces like one hour one day, another hour. Mm. It's, just, it's too long, but it's good so far. I do recommend it. I mean, the acting is crazy. I think Netflix, it, it, you know, doing what they're doing is, is crazy. I know last year they had some Oscar buzz uh, for that, uh, that one film. And now they're, they're going to create Oscar buzz with this film for sure. Maybe not the film itself because it's, it's not better than a Scarface or a casino, but um, the acting is incredible. And the storyline is pretty good. I mean, of course it's a, it's a gangster movie, you know, (laughs) Mm. but I I recommend it. Anybody has Netflix, go check it out. It's pretty good. So yeah, that's, that's what I got. And speaking of rap, news i just saw on uh, on the news this morning the juice world some kid i guess you know some young rapper juice world uh he was gonna turn 21 and he passed away seizure uh walking through an airport so crazy what's going on really there. Mm, so rest wow. in peace guy Absolutely. um so yeah darren thank you so much for joining us this was awesome hopefully we can have you in the future and talk yes, to sir. you and see what's going on and see what's going on with these with these models would we'll definitely love to check one in the in the metal at one point so thank you so much i appreciate it yes sir yeah thank absolutely. you guys yeah i really appreciate you people having me. be inspired be inspired yeah absolutely so guys thank you so much once more and as always stay humble <laughs>